0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg and this is episode number 280. As Royal Caribbean fans, it doesn't take much for us to start talking about our favorite cruise line and sharing what we love about cruising. From time to time, the cruise industry takes notice of what makes Royal Caribbean so great as well. This week, we're discussing Royal Caribbean's recent accolades in the Cruise Critic Editor's Pick Awards and why Royal Caribbean stood out from the rest of the pack. Here we go. Every year, there's a lot of awards given out in the cruise industry, and among the top of them have to be the Cruise Critic Editor's Pick Awards because it not only represents a major accomplishment for any cruise line, but it's picked by people who cover the industry in an in-depth fashion. And this week, we actually have joining us somebody who uh, is part of that team and helped really curate these awards and talk about Why Royal Caribbean in particular did fairly well in this year's awards and joining me is a good friend of the Royal Caribbean blog podcast is Colleen McDaniel, senior executive editor of Cruise Critic. Welcome back to the show, Colleen.
1: Oh, It's great to be here, Matt. I always enjoy chatting with you.
0: Absolutely. I think at this point you've gone from like making special appearances to a recurring character.
1: <laughs> well, I love it. It's great. I always enjoy the blog. I love your uh followers and um, you know, you've really got a built up a passionate following for Royal Caribbean, which I love to see.
0: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And um, you know, I wanted to talk to you, Colleen, because I saw the awards come out. Uh this the awards were announced actually last week, uh, as of the recording of this podcast. And what was interesting was oh, first I want to talk about the methodology. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about the awards and how they're picked? Because you also there's This is a little different because I believe – correct me if I'm wrong – Cruise Kirk has like essentially two sets of awards, right? There's the executive – sorry, the editor's pick awards, and then there's a different set of awards that's uh, based on popular vote or something to that effect.
1: Sure. So, we actually have three sets of awards. Um, uh, Two of them are uh, from our cruisers. Uh, We have our cruisers choice awards, which come out early next year, uh, early in 2019. They come out um, early in the year, every year. year. And then we've also, um, for the past couple of years, have had our destination awards. And these are um, awarded, again, from the people who come on our site and leave reviews uh, for the best destinations out there. Now, what's different is um, the editor's picks are picked by uh, our staff of editors. So we've got about 12 editors on our staff worldwide who spend a lot of time on cruise ships, writing about cruise ships, talking about cruise ships, talking to people who cruise, talking to people in the industry. So that's where editor's picks come from. And essentially, what we do is we lock ourselves in a room for uh, a few hours and um, really talk through each of the categories. Uh, there's always a really healthy debate um, uh, and and some great conversation that comes out of it. And, you know, we really are focused on um, what are the cruise lines doing uh, that's different, that's interesting, that's new, um, and which ones are really investing in each of the areas that we award
0: yeah, no, it's it's like I said earlier in this episode. I feel like these awards hold a little special distinction, at least for myself, because it really is people who are covering it, and you guys see the industry holistically, right? It's not you know just uh, looking at you know just one aspect of it. I and mean, you can see when you're picking any particular category, you're considering not only your personal experiences but also looking at really you know how this compares to the rest of the cruise industry which to me says a lot about you know the awards standing out as having some uh, you know it, it, you know if you're covering it and you see it and you know the lay of the land I feel like that helps also give it a little more cachet if you will to people to say this really is the best of you know whatever category we're talking about
1: Absolutely. And I, I, I really do hope that's the case because we are out there all the time and we're on multiple ships year round. So we are seeing what's new, what's exciting, and we're always talking to people as well to see what their experiences are like. Um, and and it just it's a it's a very holistic approach to it.
0: Now I'm just curious, this has nothing to do with Royal Caribbean, but I am I was very intrigued by one of the categories this year, and that was the uh, best new cruise ship, which is something that's not a new category by any stretch of the imagination. But what was interesting to me, and I'm just I'm curious because we're talking about methodology here. Uh, Celebrity Edge won the award, which is not everything I've seen has been amazing. I was just rather surprised because I think at the time that the awards were announced, there had only been one sailing, and I know that you were on uh, Edge. So talk to us about how Celebrity Edge stood out that much to you and and your team certainly uh, in the beginning sure. of it because it just yeah. uh, it was a little it was I won't say surprising, but I was really uh, I it really I. Shocked, I guess would be the, the, the right word and in a good right. way.
1: Yeah, no, and, and it's a fair question to ask. Um, I'll tell you, one of the things that, um, uh, that we did is we were actually able to see Celebrity Edge at the shipyard uh, when it was pretty far along and starting to see some of the things that they were doing um, and talking about for a really long time uh, and how they would work um, when the ship was actually sailing. Now, of course, a shipyard visit is not the same as actually cruising on a ship, but it did give us a sneak peek into some of those areas. Um, areas that a celebrity event outing so for example the magic carpet and the um uh infinity uh veranda that kind of thing and we were able to see what the space could be like so we had a pretty solid feel for that ship um before actually sailing on board um and certainly we there were other ship uh new ships in the running um but when we were able to sail on it on that first sailing it kind of sealed the deal to to see the ship and see in reality what it looked like and how Some of these amazing spaces um, turned out, you know, talking about the rooftop garden and the incredible Grand Plaza they have on board, Um, some of the bar spaces, some of the amazing restaurant spaces, including Eden, which is an incredible um, bar, restaurant, lounge, uh, dining space that is, is truly magnificent.
0: Absolutely. And I think for Royal Caribbean fans, you can't help but not pay attention to what celebrity is doing with its edge class because Let's face it. There's going to be a lot of, I think, carryover or uh, inspiration, if you will, from Celebrity to Royal Caribbean's next class of ships, the Icon, that are coming up uh, next in the next couple of years. So I think it'd be uh, there's probably some lessons and things that we're going to find from Celebrity Edge that'll, I think, make its way over to the Icon class uh, going right. forward.
1: I absolutely agree and I will say that there are things from um, I I see on edge that from the quantum class that you know I feel like Eden has some inspiration from 270 uh, in that it's this big beautiful open space um, and there are other pieces like that where you sort of see some carryover from one line to the next
0: absolutely Uh, makes total sense I mean this is something that I think is not I mean you see this in the audio industry all the time between you know one particular brand that you know is owned by a parent company but uh, you know it's it's great because the things that work help then move up you know the other lines as they start to innovate and think you know future projects. So anyway, uh you know really interesting stuff and there's no question that Celebrity Edge is not uh not deserving the the distinction. I was just uh I, I wanted to hear your take on it, especially because I know that you were uh, uh, gushing over it on social media as I was following along <laughs> some of the uh, coverage you guys were doing. So uh, definitely some good stuff there. But let's uh let's head over to the Royal Caribbean side of the fence and talk about. Uh, there are three main categories that Royal Caribbean won for, and uh, let's talk. I want to start with the surprise to me, pleasant surprise. I'm not not that I didn't think it was not worth it, but you know, uh, best suites. And I wanted to get your take on this, Colleen, because you have a better sense of the industry than I do in terms of the the rest of the industry. And the reason right. why I was a little surprised, if you will, by Royal Caribbean winning best suites is just because it seems like the new hotness in cruising. Is this is the ship within a ship concept, right. something that Norwegian's Haven, MSC's Yacht Club has just gotten so much attention for. So talk to us about why Royal Caribbean ended up getting this category, despite what I feel is a lot of attention for other cruise lines efforts.
1: Right, and and that's not to take away from those other cruise lines that have kind of those private enclaves. In fact, Celebrity just came out with theirs on Edge um, as well. So it definitely seems to be a trend. But what we loved about Royal Caribbean Suites are the consistency among them and the sheer variety. I think that's two areas where Royal Caribbean really wins. You can get you know an entry level kind of suite and and still have a beautiful room, or you can you know really spend and get that ultimate. Family Suite, uh, which is just marvelous, um, and it even includes that slide. Um, and there are a lot of categories in between. Um, and the Ultimate Family Suite isn't the only area where Royal Caribbean has paid attention to families, um, there are other family suites on. Uh, Royal ships that are pretty spectacular and can accommodate a lot of people. Um, And I think Royal Caribbean is really innovated when it comes to the suite, trying to think about um, who might be staying there. Is it families? Is it groups? Is it, you know, couples, that kind of thing. And so there's just a lot of innovation and imagination when it comes to their suites.
0: Absolutely. It just makes a lot of sense. And certainly I think also the uh, Royal uh, suite class program that's offered on the Oasis and Quantum class ships, certainly with the Royal Genie and all of that offers, you know, even takes that up to the next level. So, like I said, I mean, I'm, I, you don't have to convince me that Royal Caribbean has the best suites. <laughs> I was just, uh, it's just, it, 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 I guess it's um, rather uh, satisfying to know that clearly it's not just, you know, the, the fanboy and me talking. It is actually, you know, based on a lot of other things that you're seeing compared relative to the industry. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. <laughs>
1: And, and I do think that that enclave is certainly a possibility. We don't know a lot about what's coming next with Royal Caribbean. So um, who knows? Maybe that uh, that next generation of ships will include some kind of uh, private enclave for suites.
0: There you go. Uh, next was uh, the best ship refurbishment mariner of the seas. And this is a ship, I think, I, I don't recall, Colleen, a, now granted, again, this is in the Royal Caribbean scheme of things, but I, I don't recall a ship's refurbishment garnering quite this much attention and uh, spotlight. Because they really, this isn't just a, well, we repainted some stuff and threw in like a new bar or something. I mean, they really went to town with uh, this, of course, being part of the Royal Amplified program. So talk to us about what you saw, what you noticed about Mariner of the Season, why it took the the title for Best Ship Refurbishment this year.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they invested $120 million into this refurbishment, taking it really from a a fairly old ship that was – feeling and looking a bit dated to um, something that someone who, you know, sailed on one of the newer ships would be really excited about sailing. Um, You know, they they added the virtual reality trampoline experience, um, more restaurants, more bars. It finally got that surf simulator uh, and, of course, uh, the escape room and water park, which have really become a part of what Royal Caribbean is doing with its new ships. It changed the ship. It made it feel like a new ship Um, and that's, I think that's something that's really valuable. Um, cruise lines want to hold on to those older ships for as long as they can. They're very popular with passengers who you know, fall in love with the hardware. So making investment is really important, um, especially like I said, if, if there's a new cruiser, for example, who sails on uh, Anthem of the Seas or Symphony of the Seas, and then the next sail on an older ship, they've got an expectation that that ship is going to recreate that same experience, at least in part, that they had on board the newer ships and this really does that it feels like a new ship it feels exciting it feels like something that you know people are going to want to sail on because it's beautiful and they really nailed it with um carefully selecting additions that are meaningful you know it wasn't just oh let's throw on x y and z they said hey what are the things that define royal caribbean you know the flow rider the perfect storm um that kind of thing and and they added it to the ship
0: I couldn't agree more, and I, what I really love about it is not—I mean, the ship refurbishment is wonderful—but I love how they're trying to position the this and Navigator will be doing this in 2019 as well for the for the short sailing market. I always felt like it's something that Royal Caribbean uh, could do better with because they t- typically offered for those three and four night sailings some of their older ships, even older than Mariner and Navigator. Right. And you know, in the industry today, I mean, you're seeing like Disney's great at this. They offer. Um, you know their their newest ships offering three and four night sailings, and that's where first time cruisers inevitably, I think, lean towards those short sailings, uh, right or wrong. But the bottom line is they end up over there to so offer these kind of sailings on a ship that is as impressive now as Mariner is, and Navigator will get something quite similar. I think is just a really smart move to really get again that that new to cruise market, which of course every cruise line wants to get. And then get them, obviously, ingrained in Royal Caribbean and then trying out, like the ships you mentioned uh, earlier, like an Anthem or a Symphony or a Harmony.
1: Right. And I I think you make a good point with Navigator coming in that Navigator is one of those that really splits season, right, between the U.S. and then it shifts on over the U.K. So there's a pretty heavy U.K. base there. So it's a great way of getting international travelers um, to see what a ship can actually be like. So we're really excited to see what Navigator looks like um, after she undergoes the refurb.
0: Absolutely. And the, the category, the next category is best entertainment. And I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that Royal Caribbean won this one because it says a lot about the cruise line, quite frankly. And, you know, I mean, you know, this, there's so much attention Royal Caribbean places in its entertainment programming. I mean, it's not just a, well, let's just put a kick line on there and, and, a, and a band and we're kind of going to call it a day. I mean, every ship, they're always looking to push the envelope and uh colleen i know that you've met uh nick weir who's royal caribbean's vice president of entertainment and you've seen you know a lot coming out of there and just the 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 push for innovation um so let's first let's talk about why you picked uh royal caribbean for best entertainment because i think it's it's just it's it's a great um uh, accomplishment and a seal of approval quite frankly of what royal caribbean's uh doing with their entertainment on board
1: Yeah, And I will add that um, this is, I would say, probably one of the most competitive categories we have out there because there's a lot of innovation across the industry. Um, So for Royal to stand out really says something. Um, It's a lot of the things that they're doing. They're committing to those Broadway style shows, which, uh, you know, are are terrific. Um, This is it used to be, honestly, that cruise ship entertainment was pretty standard and pretty stale. It was four singers and some dancers and and they put together kind of a cabaret-style sh- show. That's not the reality anymore. And um, some of the shows that Royal Caribbean are putting on board, uh, Greece Comes to Mind, are, are just spectacular. And you pay a lot of money on land to see that. It's included. When you sail with Royal Caribbean, um, they've added, you know, really active kind of entertainment. So we're talking the, the laser tag, the escape rooms, that kind of thing that are they're trendy on land, but now they're at sea and you can you can participate in them in a way that is is super exciting. Um, and I'll tell you a little story and, and my editor might be a little bit of embarrassed, but uh, we had one of our editors on board um, Symphony of the Seas when it debuted uh, in Europe and she came back and could not stop talking about the drones, um, and the show, the I show with the drones. Right. Um, it's it's one of the most innovative things we've seen. It's just spectacular, and it's really embracing technology, in a meaningful, wonderful way. Um, and. Uh, And and it's just something that like everybody is talking about. I've talked to a lot of journalists about um, about that particular show and everyone's like, but the drones, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's just really cool. And I think, you know, it's not just the one show, but I think that sort of uh, explains why we like Royal here. They're willing to innovate and try things that are really different that nobody else is doing. We expect other people will start doing them, but right now this drone technology is is in place, and and I think it sort of epitomizes why Royal wins this category.
0: Absolutely, I mean it is really you know when you look at the at the total industry, and, and especially since there is one particular cruise line in there that I don't know has built its entire reputation on the industry being an <laughs> in entertainment right. There's a, right. one of them in particular has that that that's their backbone. So to have this. Uh, you know, is obviously really means a lot. And also, it's kind of interesting. You you mentioned something, Colleen, that reminded me, you know, you've been around the industry uh, for, for a while and certainly know you've seen the changes in it. And one of them is, you know, let's talk, let's take Symphony as an example, because you were talking about the drone show there. Symphony is the fourth Oasis class ship. It wasn't too long ago that when you got to the second, third or fourth ship in a class, you were getting the copy and paste job, right? right. And they were just, you know, boom, boom, boom. But now it really seems like there is a lot of attention, like every ship, regardless if it's the first or fifth in the class, gets Mm -hmm. that new first ship attention, which I think is really resonating and, and making a difference.
1: I, I absolutely agree. And I think one of the reasons that Harmony of the Seas and Symphony of the Seas have, feel like like that that new ship, that new class of ships, is because there was some distance in between uh, when Oasis and Allure were built and then when these two ships debuted. So they, Royal Caribbean was able to say, hey, here's what's working. Here's what's come up and what kind of technology we have at our fingertips. How can we make this different and new and better? And they've really done that. Uh, it also, the entertainment is really individual to the ship. So somebody who is a huge class or huge fan of Oasis class, they're gonna get completely different entertainment on Oasis than they are on Symphony than they are on Allure. And that's great because you know, otherwise you're gonna get bored. Um, and so that innovation is really important, uh, especially for line loyalists.
0: Absolutely. Um, looking at 2018, now that we're at the end of the year, and obviously these awards came out, what would you say 2018 was the year of? Like, what was the trend that you saw in the industry that really made this year uh, stand out from other uh, years?
1: Hmm. It's an interesting question. Uh, it actually, I would say, uh, it, it's a bit in line with what you've been talking about. Um, a lot of the ships that came out this year were not first in class ships, these were ships that were improving on. Um, previous ships in the same class, uh, and so, and I think this is this is a trend we're going to see again in 2019. Because if you look ahead to 2019, um, I don't believe there's actually uh, a first-in-class big cruise ship coming out next year. So we're going to see more of this, um, this improving, this tweaking, this this really nailing that product down. Um, and a, a couple areas stand out, and you, I'm sure, saw this on Symphony, but um, technology is just it's just been it's so well integrated in the cruise line. Finally, um, I think the conversation about technology for a long time was really about the speed of internet. Um, and that is not what technology, what meaningful technology is about anymore. Yes, it's still important. And having faster internet and cheaper internet still is, is, I think, important to people who are sailing. But, you know, we're seeing onboard cruise ships now. We're seeing technology just integrated into what you're doing on board. So, you know, you get that um, uh, you know, on edge with Symphony. All of a sudden, you have that facial recognition software that makes embarkation a dream. Um, I think Richard Fain calls it frictionless embarkation, and it really is. You know, you walk through the port, you look at a screen, and they know who you are, um, assuming you've opted into that. Um, and you don't have to stop and show your paperwork to anybody. There's no lengthy check-in, check-out process. So that technology is made um, is meaningful uh, because it takes the pain. And we know what a pain embarkation can be. It takes that pain out of embarkation and uh, disembarkation. And um, boy, is that something special.
0: Yeah, I think I, you talked about how, you know, it's finally like coming of age. And, you know, back in a number of years ago, I remember you and I sailed on, you know, quantum of the season. That was back in, what, 2014 now, I think. And, right, yeah. it quite a bit has changed. And I feel like you're right that technology has gone from a little bit of the gimmicky to just being meaningful is the word that you use. And I think that's a wonderful way of putting it it is now it's 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 enhancing our experience not becoming the experience exactly and, and that really makes i think all of us it just you know it makes it everything easier and i think ever, no matter what we're talking about whether we're talking about going on a cruise or going to the grocery store we want everything to be easier so that there's less of that stumbling going on and i i couldn't agree more um There was one category I was kind of look. I wanted to just again get your your thoughts on best North American home port, San Juan, and I have cruised out of San Juan, so it's you know I've always enjoyed it there. I'm just curious, uh, what stood out for San Juan and why did it uh, make the list? Certainly, as the top pick.
1: Uh, well, for one, it is uh, a great uh, embarkation spot for those Southern Caribbean itineraries. Um, and uh, the recovery process has been pretty spectacular in San Juan. Uh, excuse me, the recovery from, of course, the hurricane that, that certainly has caused devastation on a few islands um, in the Caribbean. But um, The commitment from the cruise lines to rebuild and make it better is there. And um, yes, it's still an ongoing process. There are certainly things that still aren't aren't what they want them to be in San Juan, but the recovery has been really terrific. Um, The process is really easy once you get to port, um, and it's a pretty easy port to sail out of. There's also just so much to do in San Juan, for goodness sake, it's just a beautiful area. Um, If anybody's ever been to that old town of San Juan and spent some time, um, it's really a a wonderfully um, historic area that blends um with with the modern really well. I I've had the fortune of sailing out of San Juan a number of times. Um I overnight there whenever I can because I think it's worth doing. I can't remember the last time I was in San Juan where there wasn't a parade of some kind. Uh (laughs) that just broke out (laughs) randomly and or or was planned. But um you know, it's just this this great way to celebrate with a wonderful group of people. I, I love the people of San Juan um and I think that sailing out of it is a pretty special experience.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, of course, if you want to see the whole list of the awards, uh, you can go to our uh, show notes at realcruisingblog We'll post a link over there to the uh, to the twenty eighteen Editors' Pick Awards for, and it goes out for not only ocean cruises but also river cruises, uh, and as uh, as well as luxury awards. So there is quite a bit to, to consider there. And uh, Colleen, thank you so much for taking the time here to talk with us and uh, you know share some of this insight into uh, the best of
1: the best. Oh, it's always a pleasure to chat.
0: It's email time here on the Royal Cream Blog Podcast. That's when I reach into the Royal Cream Blog Podcast email inbox. And answer your questions right here on the podcast. Of course, you want to send me an email about your recent Royal Caribbean cruise experience, a question you might have, or really anything else on your mind about Royal Caribbean, you can always do so by sending it to matt, M-A-T-T, at Caribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week is from Judy from Brooklyn, New York. All right, so hey, Matt, I love your podcast. My husband and I will be on Harmony of the Seas in January on a seven-night Eastern Caribbean sailing. This is my ninth cruise, but first with Royal Caribbean. I've been using the cruise planner to book most items before we sail, But I still have a few questions for you. First of all, I purchased a photo package entitled All Digital on USB. Does that mean it does not include any printed photos? Just curious, as now I've had to pay extra to have them printed out. Does the cruise line take your photo on the zip line at La Petite? So, Judy, the answer to your question is yes. If you have the All Digital on USB, basically, you're getting all the photos, but you're getting them on a USB stick, not printed. There is an option, if I'm not mistaken, to allow both printed and USB. Now, of course, what you could do, Judy, is, of course, take your digital photos, take them home, and then after the cruise, go to a particular vendor, you know, a CVS or, you know, Walgreens or wherever, or somewhere online, and print the prints you want out. That is another option as well that may be more cost-effective, quite frankly, but you'll have to kind of go from there and see which one works the best for you. And Judy also asked about the photos that are, whether or not photos are taken, I should say. On the zip line, And my answer is, I believe, yes, they are taken uh, as you're coming down the zip line. Uh, Judy's other question is, the Thermal Spa Pass, Ship Tour, and Escape the Rubicon are not listed on the cruise planner. Does that mean it's sold out? Can we purchase them on board? The Thermal Pass is not sold online, usually. So, yes, you need to book that online. Ship Tour and the Escape the Rubicon are things you should be able to book before the cruise, Judy. Now, I know you're getting kind of close to your sale date. I would still keep checking. At worst, yes, you should check on board the ship. Whether or not things sell out or are just not available online are two different things entirely. Uh, unfortunately, the Royal Caribbean website has its known issues that can that can be encountered. Uh, my advice is keep checking back periodically, especially in those last couple of weeks leading up to your cruise. But at worst case, what I would do is on day one, if you know you want to do Escape to Rubicon or the ship tour, then I would definitely go book that on day one. These are things that uh, that can be booked on on board. Even though it may not appear online, I'm not promising anything. Keep that in mind. But in my experience, the total inventory of products or services is not necessarily reflected by what you see online. And so, but the key is obviously to be proactive on as soon as you get on board the ship to see if those things are available. I kind of think there's going be times for Escape the Rubicon. I know it's getting quite popular. In fact, that's the escape room game on Harmony of the Seas. The ship tour is usually available, but again, you know, it depends on the sailing. Maybe there's some people, a lot of people on here, so they really want to try these things. But the thermal spa pass is almost something that I've seen them experiment with offering it online. But by and large, it's usually booked on board the ship. But again, for the spa, you also want to go on day one and take care of those. Judy also writes, I also want to reserve a clamshell lobby, but I'm not clear on how they're assigned. We're doing the zipline at 1030. Do we get our clamshell first or wait until after ziplining? Hopefully, they won't run out of clamshells. What you want to do is go to the clamshell first and then go to the zipline. Unless, of course, you're a late riser and then you go to the zip line first and then go to your beach chair. But I would imagine you'd probably be getting there be- to the beach that is before 1030 or well before 1030. You have the choice of either one. Uh, it's not to say that they're going to run out. If you booked it, they're going to have one there for you. You can also talk to on board the ship, go to the shore excursion desk and ask them, say, how is it You know, doled out? Is there an assignment option for you? In my experience, when I did it, I've done the clamshell thing in Labadee once. These are the, um, basically, it's it's two sets of beach chairs with this clamshell covering that provides a little bit of shade. And I did it when it first was offered in Labadee, And as I recall, when we did this a number of years ago now, they just said, okay, well, you know, it's, here's what we got left. Not that there were that many taken up, but here are the ones that we have available. Which one would you like to, is there a particular spot you'd like to be at? And they escorted you there. If you're particularly concerned about your location, my advice is to be get off the ship earlier than your then your zip line excursion, so that way you can stake out your claim and then go to your ziplining afterwards. I feel like that may be the best approach anyway. So that way you're you're all set. When it comes to the bungalows and cabanas, I know they do pre-select. Okay, you know Judy's gonna be at this cabana, Matt's gonna be at this cabana, uh, but you can go on board the ship and make a request because most people don't do that. They just simply show up there. So I think you'll have a pretty decent chance at it. And Judy also says, does Harmony have anything like Small Wonders on Oasis and Alert? Unfortunately, it does not, Judy. Small Wonders is an artistic experience, a game, if you will, that was available on Oasis and Alert. Basically, on Oasis and Alert, they have these telescopes that point down into the ground. So if you're walking around the ship, you may not notice them, but at certain places, there'll be these little telescopes. and you look into them, there's a little piece of art hidden in there that you can see and each one has a different piece of art. It's really cool and a lot of fun. It's a good scavenger hunt, good thing for kids and families and and adults. I enjoy looking for them and unfortunately they were only limited to Oasis and Allure. They were pieces of art so it's not like this was a mass produced kind of thing there was an artist behind them but they did not put them on Symphony or Harmony of the Seas so it is just something on Oasis or Allure but no, small wonders or not Judy you're going to have a really great time on Harmony of the Seas. Our next email comes to us from Anthony, writes, I understand every few years a ship seems to go in for some sort of refurbishment, sometimes big and sometimes just a good cleaning. But how often do they change all the mattresses, which seem to be occupied almost year-round? Thanks to you for the good work. Anthony, that's a really good question, and I'm going to give you an answer based on my observations. I don't know if this to be the fact in terms of what they're what their policy is. My sense of it is the mattresses get replaced on a as needed basis. It's not to say that they only do them every five years or every X amount of years, there may be a practice to it, but just like carpeting, they get replaced. If there's a need for it, if there's, or if there's an issue they encounter, if the housekeeping staff, you know, notices something that that's going to require it. Certainly during these periodic refurbishments, these dry docks that people referred to, they will take an opportunity to take a whole, holistic look at everything that's available on the ship and say, okay, well, here's what we need to update. And a lot of times you'll see, like, carpeting is a big one. But I've also seen carpeting be replaced on the fly in certain situations. Like, as an example, if somebody spills something that causes irreparable damage to the carpet... They don't just leave a a brown splotch on it or cut it out of the carpet and leave this empty spot. They'll replace a section of the carpeting. They have extra carpeting on the ship, and it's actually pretty interesting how they can do it. And they kind of seamlessly reintegrate the new piece with the old pieces there, but they can take care of that. With the mattresses, it's obviously not quite, they don't keep necessarily a huge stockpile of of new mattresses to replace old ones, but they do have that opportunity. That being said, a lot of the staterooms do get periodic. Uh, refurbishments along with the dry dock so i don't know that we can definitively anthony tell you one way or another that i don't i'm certainly not aware of a stated policy that goes there in my experience and my observations of royal caribbean i feel like a lot of these things are kind of on a per case basis like there isn't a fleet-wide policy it's more of a well when there's a problem we'll identify the problem and then you know address it accordingly and kind of go from there you know the The inevitable follow-up question to this question is usually, well, you know, are the mattresses soft? Are they firm? I've heard stories about this. I've always found the mattresses to be pretty darn good. I've always enjoyed sleeping on Royal Caribbean ships. I tend to prefer a harder mattress, a firmer mattress, I should say. Not to say that I like a slab of steel to to be my bed, but I certainly prefer a little more firmness in my mattress than perhaps, you know, somebody who likes a little softer. That being said, of course, you know, Mattress comfort is very much a subjective topic, right? What I find firm or not firm is going to be different than somebody else. And, you know, there's, are there people that complain about it? Sure, absolutely. But I feel like they do a pretty good job with it. And I certainly have enjoyed sleeping on a real cream ship. I think probably part of that has to do with just how much activities we're going in and out of and all things we're doing in port, running around the ship, and perhaps enjoying a adult beverage or three that's going to help me sleep as well, but I'll tell you that I've never really had that many issues with the mattress. Some other people are, you know, maybe have different experiences than I do. I certainly respect that, but, um, you know, it's one of those, it's just like food. You'll see people complain about food. You'll see people glorify food, and I laud the food that's on board, and I certainly generally like most of the food that, I, that I've that i eaten on a Royal Caribbean ship. and by the same token, I've generally come and enjoyed many a mattress on a Royal Caribbean ship. I've slept like a baby in many cases, so... Anthony, thank you for the email. Our next email comes to us from Carl from New Jersey. He writes, Hi Matt, just got back from a Disney World Universal trip. Since you don't do a Disney podcast anymore, I haven't heard your views on this topic recently, and I know you used to disagree, but I totally think that Disney Cruise Line versus Royal Caribbean is more similar to Disney World versus Universal than you would like to admit. Price, Universal is way cheaper. I say four nights at the Polynesian and four nights at the Royal Pacific. Cheapest room at the Polynesian is six forty seven a night with taxes and fees. Royal Pacific is two eighty two per night. Royal Caribbean is much cheaper than Disney Cruise Line. Planning. Universal requires little planning. For Disney World, you need to figure out where you want to be eating one hundred eighty days beforehand. Wake up at six a.m. to deal with the crummy website that keeps crashing. You need to do. You need to do the same thing sixty days out for Fast Passes, and you still won't be able to get Fast Passes for places like Flights of Wonder or Slinky Dog Coaster. But my room at my Royal Pacific came with unlimited FastPass Express. You just go to the Fast Pass line, skip the line for just about every ride, no planning needed. Disney Cruise Line requires that you set an alarm to wake up and pick your port arrival time to get your reservations for Palo, to get your tickets for the Princess Meets, etc. If you miss it, you're out of luck. Most Royal Caribbean ships don't require any of this, and for Oasis and Quantum Class, they just open it up randomly. Just keep checking it back occasionally and you'll be fine. Quality. Disney owns a lot of great intellectual property and executes wonderful rides, but Universal has done an amazing job with their Harry Potter land. I think it's better than anything Disney has done. Pandora is close, but nobody remembers the Avatar movie. Everyone knows Harry Potter, and in the case of cruising, Disney ships are amazing, but so are real Caribbean ships. Universal is a better value, less stressful, and has similar quality to Disney World. These are similar to the arguments you can use for Royal Caribbean versus over, I should say, Disney Cruise Line. If you still disagree, you might need to get yourself to Universal soon. I realize that all this quite matches up as you're an Orlando resident. This is more from the viewpoint of an out-of-state visitor. Um, Am I going to go stop going to Disney World? No, but I'll keep going to Universal. For the same reasons, I'll keep cruising on multiple cruise lines, Royal Caribbean, Disney, Cunard, etc. I figured this is off topic. It might be right on a current podcast. Wanted to send it anyway. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work, Carl. Thank you for the email. I look. I always appreciate any good uh, option to talk about cruising, compare and contrast. And I'm certainly always up for that discussion. I I like your your observations. I appreciate you sending them in, Carl. I think if I were to be if I was to look at your your analysis of Disney World versus Universal Studios. I would probably say you've glazed over some glaring advantages Disney has over Universal. Primarily the 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 total resort experience that Disney offers you, the more immersive experience Disney offers you, not only just on a particular ride. I know you mentioned the Harry Potter stuff, but holistically I feel like Disney does a whole lot better job of kind of making you feel like you're in the magic kingdom or, you know, in Star Wars or, you know, whatever versus where Universal is a little more uh, it's definitely more hit or miss, to say the least. And there's a lot of other things that are there, and uh, certainly this is a Disney World podcast or Universal Studios podcast. I won't go too in-depth in there. But I do appreciate your comparisons, and I do think that I disagree with you that the... I disagree with a little bit of what you said in the sense that I feel like there still is a sizable gap between what Disney World offers and what Universal offers. Now, the price thing, you're 100% right on. And what I, ne- I haven't said at the Royal Pacific... At Universal Studios, I'm not sure how well that really matches up to the Polynesian. I know that it is one of their better hotels at Universal. Regardless, there's still a huge price discrepancy between Universal and Disney World, although their ticket prices are pretty much the same, uh, at least for like those single day passes. Beyond that, it kind of, you know, there's 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 some magic that goes on behind the scenes to make it one one work a whole lot better than the other. But anyway, uh, what I will tell you is. Uh, when it comes to the debate of Royal Caribbean over Disney Cruise Line, there's a lot that goes into it. In fact, this week's episode, we were talking about, we talked with Colleen from Cruise Critic about the awards. Disney Cruise Line won the award for Best Family Cruise Line, and I went on a Twitter tirade about that fact, and I said that I, I, I think that's wrong. And I said, because how do you, as a, when you're talking about Best Family Cruise Line, how can you possibly overlook the fact, the price discrepancy... That Disney Cruise Line has over pretty much any other uh, mass market cruise line of which Disney World is part of that, and you know my example or my 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 argument is that'd be like saying someone you know uh, uh, J.D. Power and Associates or Consumer Reports saying the best family vehicle for you is a Maserati or a Rolls Royce because they just offer such a better car experience. Well, they probably do offer a better like you know driving experience. There's no question about that, but you know, the price point makes it totally unaffordable for families. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration for Disney Cruise Line, but Disney Cruise Line is oftentimes two to three times more expensive than Royal Caribbean. And for that reason, I feel like there's a lot of families that are just simply priced out from Disney Cruise Line. Their offering is notwithstanding. On top of all that, I feel like Royal Caribbean offers a fantastic family experience on their cruise ships. Certainly to the point that I feel like there's there's a lot of parity between Disney Cruise Line and Royal Caribbean for what they offer for families to do on board. And I think that the fact that I... I I firmly believe that Disney gets a bit of an advantage simply based on name. If Disney Cruise Line had been called, you know, anything, Magical Cruises Inc. or something, if they didn't have the Disney brand behind it, if it was another cruise line that offered similar experiences on there, I'm not sure they would get kind of that benefit of the doubt, so to speak, that they often get. This isn't just a cruise critic thing. This is just across the board. More often than not, people just assume Disney offers the best cruise experience for families, and they certainly do offer a nice experience. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Disney offers a bad family experience. But I feel like Royal Caribbean offers very similar and, in some cases, superior family experiences on board the ship, especially for older kids. But on top, the most important fact is the the, the fact that Disney Cruise Line costs so much more. And I'm not talking about, like, an extra 20% or something like that, where this is the difference between buying, you know, you go to the supermarket and you buy an on-brand versus the store-brand version of, like, cream cheese. You know, you pay a little bit more for the on-brand. No, no, no. We're talking about just two to three times this uh, for the cruise fare, that's a lot of money. And uh, look, when you're talking about paying for, you know, three, four, five, or even more people on a cruise, that's a lot of money that you're talking about there. And that's why I think that they, they I, I don't agree. And I think that Royal Caribbean is a better family cruise line, not only for what it offers, but certainly for the value, if you're a family, I just don't know how you can overlook that fact. I know there's people are going to disagree with me, and they certainly do. I don't think a lot of them listen to this podcast, but um, and, and I've had this discussion many, many a time. But since Carl brought it up, I felt that I had to discuss it again. But Carl, thank you for the email. I do appreciate you sharing your experience there, and always a, I always enjoy a nice opportunity to calmly and collectively discuss why I'm right. <laughs> That's a joke right there. <laughs> next we have an email from Mary Ritz. I've been following your blogs regarding Coco okay, and the progress or lack thereof I'm booked on Adventure of the Seas for May 31st 2019 and the main reason is to go to Perfect Day at Coco Cay we've already booked a cabana by the Oasis pool I fear that it may not be completed by this time I'm feeling that I should cancel this cruise as the pier isn't near its completion and there are no photos of the interior of the park and its progress what are your opinions on this? Ooh, Mary, you know, this is requiring me to look at my crystal ball. Here's what I'd say. First and foremost, don't cancel your cruise. I don't think that that'd be a, a good idea. I will tell you that the reasons why you should be optimistic is, first and foremost, Royal Caribbean, even as of the recording of this podcast, is still pushing that May 2019 perfect day at Cocoa opening. That's the date they're pushing right there. Now, I, I think it would be a mistake to assume that That on May 1st or May 3rd, I think May 3rd is the first official sailing that's supposed to go to Perfect Day. Okay, I believe Navigator is that ship that's doing it. We um, posted that in the blog a couple months ago when Royal Caribbean announced that. But there's still going to be work being done. It's not going to be a finished product. In fact, we already know this because, you know, some of the other aspects of of the island that are supposed to be completed won't be done so until the end of 2019. But Royal Caribbean still has, and we have to take them at their word, that by May 2019, it's supposed to be available. Now, you're sailing on May 31st, which means you're really not getting OK until probably sometime in early, you know, the first week of June, right? Because your cruise leaves on May 31st. I forget where Adventure will be in May 31st. But even if it's June 1st, right, the next day, regardless, you've got a fair amount of buffer. If you were saying I'm going on May 1st or May 7th, yeah, a little more issue there. I mean, here's the bottom line, Mary. You're going to go to CocoCay. You're going to, by May, the, the pier is going to be done. <laughs> if the pier is not done by May, there's a major problem. Currently, the pier is supposed to be done by January. And I use that as in air quotes because there is no exact date, whether it's Jan 1 or Jan 31st, totally different thing. But again, the the fact that their marketing department is really pushing that May date, I would be frankly surprised if, it, if, if they were to slip on that because... There's just a lot of marketing going on. When Perfect Day Cocaine okay was first announced, Royal Caribbean kind of was a little more vague in their dates. And they said, well, it'll be at some point. You know, And, they, and the only date they were ever really trying to stick with was the pier date. And that pier date moved a lot. Regardless, the amount of marketing they put behind this May 2019... I would be frankly surprised if they shifted it. Now, that's not to say that when you get there in May, or in your case, Mary, perhaps June second or third, whenever you're going to be in Coco, okay? You know, are you going to see? Are you going to see potential? Will your cabana probably be there? Yeah, I think the oasis pool will be open. I think the cabana is going to be there. I've heard from certain folks, and I haven't seen from my own self. So this is uh, third-hand knowledge, but the sources that I've talked to, I feel pretty confident in, have said that they've actually made a lot of progress inland, and the pier is just the it's a different issue altogether. But Um, I'm optimistic about this, and I'm going to tell you that if I were you, Mary, first of all, I, 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 well, (laughs) I don't cancel cruises, but (laughs) I would also tell you not to cancel the cruise. I understand your concern. If your concern, Mary, is you want to have the perfect day cocaine experience like you see in the artist renderings, you want the finish, you want it to be finished, finished, I would tell you to defer to 2020, yeah. But if you want to have some time by the oasis pool in your cabana, I think that's going to be available to you. Will there be construction walls somewhere along the island? Absolutely, it's going to it's going to be a fact. But I I think you're going to be able to still enjoy your day there. It's just again, what I, I, it's hard for me to understand your expectations beyond. You know, will the Oasis Pool be there? Yes. Will the Cabana be there? I, I got to think so. And for that matter, you know, that's the best information I have at this time to give you. Obviously, I can't promise you anything. Nobody can promise you anything. Royal Caribbean will tell you the date is May, and we have taken their word at that. But, you know, uh, I just think that canceling your sailing, to me... Is I, I wouldn't do it. I, I think that'd be a mistake, quite frankly. I think you're gonna have a great time nonetheless. But again, if, if you're looking for a totally finished, you need to wait till 2020 because they've said as much. But if you're saying you just want to have the cabana by the pool, by the oasis pool, I think you'll be okay. I think that'll be, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to put in a pool. Well, that's the least of the issues there. Um, and certainly, uh, Mary, any information we have, we will post at Royal Caribbean Blog dot com for you to have some more information about, uh, and anything, any updates we can get, we always post there. So I appreciate the email and certainly hope this helped a little bit. I'm not sure I did, but <laughs> it's, it's a fair question, Mary, and I'm glad you brought it up. Next, we have an email from Jay Arnold from Toronto, Canada, who writes, I've been on 17 cruises with NCL, Disney, Carnival, and Royal Caribbean being my most at 10. My question is first time I Majesty to the seas, so what it what's it like? And what's and the first time in Cuba, do I need to know anything like having a visa or anything to get off the back of the ship? Thanks, love the podcast, keep it going. I would recommend, uh, first of all, Jay, thank you for the email. Second of all, uh, we did a podcast episode about that. I sailed on Majesty the Seas to Cuba earlier this year on it. It was a great cruise, actually. My first time on Majesty. I have cruised a lot on Royal. It's my first time on Majesty, first time going to Cuba. There's a lot to know. I will tell you, I'm going to refer you again to the episode, which was... Episode 258 of this podcast, 258, I did a full review of Majesty and Cruising to Cuba. Check out that episode, number one. Number two, Royal Caribbean will provide you a visa. When you check into the cruise at the terminal, they'll provide you the, the documents. It costs $75. You don't have to do anything special. It's going to be charged automatically to your, your pass account. You just fill out the paperwork and they give it to you. It's pretty straightforward in terms of paperwork you need to get into Cuba. My advice, number one advice, visiting Cuba is have plans in advance. This is not a Cozumel situation in which you can kind of wing it and walk off the ship, especially your first time. Pick an excursion, either book it through Royal Caribbean, book it through a third party, whichever you're comfortable with, but have a plan in place. I feel like there, there's just so much to do in in almost like Cozumel in Havana that you want to have a plan in place because that's going to behoove you to have a fantastic day. There's just a ton of stuff going on. You don't want to waste time, and you want to make sure you take advantage, full advantage of every minute you've got in Havana because it is that impressive. So I feel like those are the most important things to do there. And I also, again, that episode 258 of the podcast, I went into a lot of details about things I observed and things you should know and everything else in between. So hopefully that'll give you a really good idea of what to expect. In terms of Majesty of the Seas, you know, Majesty is obviously one of, it's the second oldest ship in the fleet. It's also the second smallest ship in the fleet. What, the thing with Majesty is, it's it's obviously a different experience than when you're going on, you know, a Freedom Class or an Oasis Class. And you, I know you mentioned that you've cruised some with Disney, some with Carnival, and 10 cruises, it sounds like, with Royal Caribbean, which is great. But if you're used to, obviously, the Oasis Class and the Freedom Class the bigger and newer ships, there's going to be a little bit of culture shock when you go to Majesty. Not a lot. It's just enough that it'll take you like I took me probably two days to truly get my bearings on Majesty of the Seas. I remember when I went on, you know, other ships in the Fleet like a Radiance class ship for the first time, it wasn't quite to that point because I felt like there was a lot of carryover from one class to another. Whereas Majesty being a sovereign class ship, you know, a lot has changed since she debuted. And there were just some noticeable differences, and it just took a little bit of time to get used to it. That's all. Obviously I know, and I think you know this as well, Jay. There are, there's no floor rider on board Majesty of the Seas. There's no, you know, Broadway show. There's no zip line. You know, there's. I don't think there's an escape room game either. But you know, there are certain things that aren't on there. But what's nice about Majesty is you have just ginormous lounges and bar areas. Really beautiful. Uh, you have a nice centrum area. You know, the wide promenade decks. There's some nice things about the ship that you know. Not only are they throwbacks to the old days of cruising, but they're kind of neat. different different kind of experience, a differentiator, so that someone who's gone on 10 Royal Caribbean Cruises, I think you would appreciate, oh, you can see the differences and notice them, and and it's fine. But the reason you're going on Majesty, the reason why you're sailing there is because you're going to Cuba. Cuba is the reason. It's the reason why I booked Majesty this season after so many years of not sailing on her, and it wasn't a mistake. We had a great time on board. Uh, It's just you have to understand what the ship offers, what it doesn't offer, and take a little bit of time to, to... Get your bearings. I remember on day one, I could not find where the Windjammer was. I <laughs> just I've never had this problem on a Royal Caribbean ship where I couldn't find it. But you know, i had to go to the map and say, oh, okay, it's over here. Ah, okay. And you know, go from there. And our last email this week comes to us from Melissa where it's I'm Matt, my husband and I are going on Symphony of the Seas next February for a seven-night Western Caribbean cruise. We purchased the ultimate dining package on Black Friday and are wondering about your recommendations for how to use it best on the ship. For paid restaurants, we already have dined at Chops, Zumi, and 150 Central Park on previous ships. What would you recommend for our two lunch days at sea? Are there any restaurants we should go to more than once for dinner? How do we most easily make our reservations for all the days at one time? We'll be boarding at noon or before, so hoping to get on early and make reservations right away. Melissa, thank you for the email. And yes, you nailed it right there. Number one thing with any dining package you get, whether it's Ultimate or the three-nighter or the four-nighter or five-nighter, make your reservations as soon as you can on day one. That is the key right there. In fact, one of the things we do in the cruise terminal when we're sitting around is you know waiting to board is actually talked. you know, well, my wife and I will sit down there and just we have time to actually sit down, write down exactly, okay, night one where we want to eat here, night two, have a plan of action. Once you're on board the ship, Melissa, there should be an area for you to go make reservations on board the ship. Usually they have a spot like near one of the main dining rooms. Check the boarding day cruise compass. There's usually an indication like, especially restaurant reservations. Uh, there was one I think I saw when I was on Symphony in the on the Royal Promenade. You'll see it. There'll be a place for you. If not, or if you don't find it, whatever the case may be, you can go to any specialty restaurant or guest services and they can make reservations for you. So if you go to Chop's Grill, as an example, they can not only book you Chop's Grill, they can book you any restaurant you want as well. So they'll be happy to help you there. My uh, recommendations are number one, book it as early as you can so that you can take advantage of the time as available for you. In terms of where to eat, if there are uh, for two lunch days at sea, I would recommend Hooked is a good restaurant for lunch. I think it it, it does itself well there. Uh, I think Jamie's Italian. Their menu is very slightly different for lunch. Uh, Chops is a more of a different menu for lunch, but I think I generally prefer Jamie's Italian. Jamie's Italian is really becoming one of my favorite or one of my go-to specialty restaurants. My favorite specialty restaurants on Symphony have to be the Izumi Hibachi, which is not included in your dining package, unfortunately. The One Fifty Central Park and Jamie's Italian. So if you're going to go for lunch, I would definitely go for Jamie's again for lunch. So do Jamie's for dinner, Jamie's for lunch. And then for the other lunch, you could also go to, I would say, maybe Playmakers because that is included. You get a stipend just like you will at a Zumi Sushi side, and that's $35 per person to use there. I think that would be a pretty good option for lunch. I'm not sure I would leave it for a dinner unless there's a particular day in which you, know, you have a late day in port and you're just going to come back. You're not going to want to put on nice clothing. You just want to put on shorts and enjoy a quick bite to eat. Perhaps that's a good option for you. But I still feel like uh, it, not, not necessarily to go twice, but it's just a good lunch day kind of place would be to go to a place like Playmakers. Uh, in terms of... Um, You know the restaurants to go to, I mean, you already mentioned you ate at Chops, Izumi, and 150. I still think you should go to those places anyway. When you have the Ultimate Dining Package, I mean, let's face it, you're eating at seven dinners plus two or three, depending on your itinerary, lunches, you know, there's going to be some carryover. There's going to be repetition there. I don't know that there are mistakes to go to those. Those are really good restaurants. So, yeah, again, my top three would probably be uh, 150, uh, Izumi, Hibachi, and Jamie's Italian. And that, my friends, is going to wrap up this week's episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails and I can answer them here or try to answer them here anyway, <laughs> always my door is open for you to send them in. Just email me at matt at com. Matt, M-E-T-T, at com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hochberg, and we'll talk you again soon.